0: We just prayed to Saint Joseph to intercede for us. Saint Joseph, our Father and Lord. And in tomorrow's Gospel, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we read about Saint Joseph's vocation, his acceptance of Mary, and therefore, through her, his acceptance of you, Lord, to be your father on earth. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. And Joseph, the just, right, Joseph, the righteous man. That's so important, Lord, for us to consider in your presence. Righteousness, right, that just being good, trying to avoid harming others, trying to avoid being unfair, trying to avoid that bad self-centeredness, that selfishness that leads us to harm others easily or to take ways out of things that don't consider what it does to others or the effects on others. And this is Joseph. Right? Since he's righteous, he's not going to expose her to shame. He decides to divorce her, put her away quietly, Right? since they weren't fully married yet. They were just betrothed. And so he must have prayed about it. It must have been very hard for him, very hard decision to make. Since he loved our lady so much, he must have prayed about it. And using his mind and his good intentions, his righteousness, that's the decision he came to. Then we see something very beautiful, right? That he's open to changing his mind. He's open to more input from God. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name Jesus means God saves. Incredible name, right? It's a name that's a prayer. If we just say Jesus, we remind ourselves that God saves. We ask God to help us. The holy name of Jesus, God saves. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. Another beautiful name for our Lord, Emmanuel, right? God is with us. And that's the great message of Christmas, which we're heading towards very rapidly here. And also the great message of Christianity, right? That God is with us. God has not left us alone. In Jesus Christ, God has visited mankind. God has visited our history and stayed with us. Jesus, before he ascends, says, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And Once he came, he stayed. He, he stays in the Blessed Sacrament. He stays in the Word of God. He stays in your conscience. He stays in your prayer life. He stays in others, in your life. And God has visited us, and he hasn't left us. God is with us. And Joseph... Taking Mary into his home takes her into his life and therefore, Lord, since you are inside of her, literally, that moment, physically, he takes you into his life. And this is something that's ex- you know, very good for us to pray about is the sense of living with the presence of God. Right? God is with us. And we want to be with God. And so in in Revelation, Lord, and in the church, you come to be with us. But we also have to decide to be with God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But we have to decide to be his disciples, right? That we're with God. And so Joseph, it's not just that the angel shows up and tells him. Joseph has to say, okay, yeah, God is with us. But also, I'm with God. I want God in my life. And so he has to welcome Mary into his home. And it's the same thing for, um, for the apostles. Jesus shows up. He's with them. But then he says, follow me. I'm with you, but are you with me? Come and follow me. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, we read in the Gospel of Matthew, And follow me. And we can imagine, Lord, how much their life changed in those first few days and weeks and months after to saying yes to you, saying yes to their Christian vocation. And what that was like, right? Jesus shows up, God with them, and then he says, follow me. And they say, okay, now we're with God. And it must have been pretty wild. And they must have been pretty self-conscious at first. Because now they were with Jesus, who was the Messiah, he's going to reveal that he's God to them as well. But he's their master, he's their rabbi, he's this great spiritual leader. And they're like his closest disciples. So for a while, it must have been like they're super hyper self-conscious about, am I doing this right? What does he expect from me? Uh, What if I make a mistake? And I'm sure Jesus, right? Corrected them and helped them and he was nice about it and he was patient and little by little where he gave them advice and and then after a while they kind of got used to it. They got used to his presence. In a good way, because you can't be like hyper worried about how you're doing all the time, otherwise you won't be peaceful and daring and loving. In a good way they got used to it. But still, what did they get used to? They get they get used to the fact that he was always there and he was present. And it became second nature for them to be doing what he was doing and to be where he was and live his teachings. But at first, they took an adjustment. Right? They had to realize, well, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not the same as I was before I met Jesus. I can't waste as much time as I used to waste. I can't hang out with those friends who were not with Jesus as much as I could before or in the same way as I could before because now things are different. I can't eat as much falafel or whatever they were eating back then as as I used to, right? Because we don't have time and we there's less time for lunch or whatever. Right? Everything changed. And at first that was hard, but then it became like a second nature. And this is our life, that the more we pray... And the more we try to practice presence of God, the more we'll see that, hey, if I'm really aware that Jesus is with me, some things have to change. I can't think about myself so much. I can't waste so much time. I can't be so self-indulgent. I can't lack so much patience with others. If we were more aware, Lord, that you're God with us and we were more decided to be your disciples to be man with you, a man with you, well, then what would need to change, right? What would need to be adjusted? And this is a great thing to practice in our prayer, is just simply that faith in God's presence. I firmly believe that you were here. God is with us. He's here in the Blessed Sacrament. And to pray well, is at times just to try to have a new experience of that. God is in this room, and he's just a couple of feet from each one of us. The same Jesus Christ who called those apostles, the same Jesus Christ who was incarnate in Mary's womb, the same Jesus Christ who Joseph invited into his home and took care of, he's right here for me and for you. And maybe you've had that experience. Sometimes you, know, you think you're alone, and you realize someone else is actually in the room with you. And you're like, whoa, right? I didn't know you. I thought I was alone. And perhaps you're a little bit embarrassed. Like, oh no, was I picking picking my teeth? Or was I talking to myself? Right, you're like, oof. Because when we think we're alone, it's kind of like we let our guard down and we think, ah, nothing. you know, no one can see me. It doesn't really matter as much, right? Um And so we get sloppy and we get kind of like, you know, loose different ways. Sometimes it happens in the car. You know, I'm driving in the car and I'm at a light. And I look over and I notice that the person next in the next car is like staring at me. Yeah. Whoa, I hope I wasn't, you know, singing along to the song in my car too loud, or that I was playing. Heavy metal music too loud, and it was kind of scandalous for priests to be listening to. When I cut people off, I tend to like cover my collar, you know, or I have a sweater actually that I zip up so you can't see the collar, and then I cut people off. I shouldn't do that. I'm just, I'm half kidding. At times, sometimes it happens. You know, you have to like hope that they didn't see the collar so that they, they don't get a bad impression of the priesthood. Anyway. So maybe you've had that experience, right? You think you're alone. You think no one's watching. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, someone's here, right? Well, that's our life. It's like, you know, God is with us. God is always with you. And he's not just there, like, watching you, like, you know, the Santa Claus song, Better Watch Out, right? Because Santa Claus is watching, because if you're bad, he's going to mess up your Christmas morning. Yeah, that's true. God is watching. But more than that, like he is with us and he loves us and he wants to help us to be good, right? And he wants to help us to be better. And so just like those apostles, they had to learn, oh, okay, Jesus is with me and Jesus prays more than I do. So I'm going to pray too. And Jesus helps people more than I do. So I'm going to help more people. And Jesus wastes less time than I do. And I'm with him and his team. I'm trying to live his life, right? I'm one of his best friends, and trusted companions. And so I waste less time now because Jesus is in my life. And perhaps above all, Lord, a spirit of service. You are God with us. You're in our souls. And you are among us, as you tell those apostles, as one who serves. It's an incredible thing, the scene in the Last Supper. Jesus just instituted the Eucharist. He just gave himself to his disciples as bread, anticipating the gift on the cross the next day. He's about to die for for them and for the redemption of the world. At the Last Supper, after the institution of the Eucharist, what are the apostles talking about? They're talking about themselves, right? Who's better? Um, you know, who's more important? Who's more popular? A dispute also arose among them. Which of them was to be regarded as the greatest? Maybe St. John was like, oh, you guys know he loves me the most. I'm the beloved disciple. You know, I'm the greatest. And St. Peter's like, oh, you guys know that he called me. I'm the rock, right? And uh, clearly I'm the greatest. And Andrew's like, Peter, you wouldn't even be here if I didn't invite you to see Jesus. So... Even if you are important, I'm even more important than you. So everyone had their thing. They're all like, no, I'm the best, and I'm the best. He likes me the most. No, he likes me the most, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus is like, "Ah, oh, these guys, I, when are they going to get it? And so he has to tell them. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather... Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For which is the greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, God who saves us. And the God with us is among us as a servant. And this is a great thing for us to, um, to pray about a spirit of service. Right? Jesus, you are among me as one who serves, and you say, "Come follow me, and I live my life with you and you, you live your life with me and even in me." right Jesus says about the Eucharist, "He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him." right? Jesus lived in his mother's womb as an unborn baby, as we know these days, heading into Christmas, we contemplate that. Well, he also lives inside of you as a spiritual person. Jesus lives in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandment and the Father will love him and the Father and I will come to him and make our abode with him. Right, being a Christian in grace, connected to the church, and in a state of grace, right, means that God is living in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your life. And that God, Lord, the God that you are, is love, right? is service. I am among you as one who serves. In another passage, the same thing was happening. The apostles are arguing about who's the greatest, and, and we all do this, right? Worrying about, okay, where do I stack up? especially perhaps men, but it also happens to women, comparing <laughs> comparing ourselves to others. How do I rate? Am I better than this guy at that? Is he better than me at this? Where do I stack up? The apostles were doing this, and Jesus said to them, Look, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God came among us, To serve, I am among you as one who serves. And now in, in our Christian life, in our spiritual life, he's in our heart as one who serves. And so this is super important, you know, for our life. It's like, okay, what should I be doing at school? Or what should I be doing at work? Or what should I be doing at home? Or even what should I be doing in my prayer? Well, love is service, right? How can I help the people in my life more? How can I serve you more, Lord? With my attention, with openness to your will. How can I serve the people in my school more? Or my workplace more? My family more? How can I help my friends more? Right? These are the real, these are the real questions, right? Because otherwise our Christianity is just kind of like, you know, it gets a little bit, um, it gets a little bit theoretical. It's like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I have to think this way about that. You know, God is a trinity. That's very important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I go to church on Sunday. And, you know, I think marriage is actually between man and woman. And these are things that I have to, like, think about the world and try to live and put into practice and help others think. And yes, 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 that's all true. But it's not just about truths that are abstract. It's about, like, who am I helping? Why do I get out of bed in the morning? who am i thinking about when i rest or when i watch shows or when you know i play games or whatever right? who am i doing things for who am i doing things with when i do homework or when i work or when i play sports or when i practice music right? what's it for and all those things are great i mean obviously it's all the world of art and the world of entertainment and the world of sports and the world of work. It's all from God. It's all part of God's love for us. And it's all a way of appreciating how awesome God must be in himself. God is more fun than the funnest game we can ever play. God is more beautiful than the most beautiful face or painting we could ever see. And God is more satisfying and more interesting than the most satisfying, interesting work that we could ever do thing we could ever learn. So all of that is is part of God's plan. It's a reflection of God. But when we're in it, we can be in it for ourselves because we like it, because it makes us happy personally, right? Um, because Because it satisfies our ego, because we get good at it and people appreciate that we're good at it and tell us that we're good at it. Or we can be in it and enjoy it just as much and perhaps even more recognizing, Lord, that it's all for you, right? All for the glory of God. Lord, we want to do these things and appreciate them to serve you. And while we're doing them, and appreciating them to serve others. right? Whatever it is, as long as it's not a sin, right? We can do it for the love of God and love of others. And to be very humble about it, right? It's not just these big things. Sometimes in our world, we think, oh, the, you know, what really matters are the big things, the things that make people famous, the things that make you know, sweeping changes in industry or, you know, it's like, unless I'm Elon Musk, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm nobody. Right, or unless I'm Bill Gates, I'm just a little nobody. Well, that is worldly thinking. And in our spiritual life, we realize that, as Saint Jose Maria teaches us, a little thing done for love is worth so much. A little thing done for love is worth so much. And St. Teresa of Lisieux says, if I pick up a pin, if I even pick up a pin for love of God, I might save a soul. And that's important, because even if you're called to do great things, and maybe some of you are, that really change the world, or change an industry, or change a city, or change a country, or change a whatever, a field of thought, or whatever, that had, things that have a big impact on a lot of people, Even if you're called to that, well, your life is still going to be mostly made up of small things that make those big things happen. One email after another, right? One thought written down after another. One paper finished after another. One Excel sheet filled out after another, right? One small task at work or one small thing at home or, you know, even if you're on top of the world, you probably still have to make your own bed, right? If you, if you get to the point where you don't have to make your own bed because you have a staff, well, then give me a call because I'll, I'll ask you for money. Okay. I'll, I'll ask you guys for a donation for my school, schools that I help out with. Okay. Or for other things. But most of us, right? We're still going to have to like take out the garbage and take our, you know, Clean our room. And, and for the rest of your life. And those things in God's eyes, if you do them for love, they're just as important as like, you know, I don't know, getting elected president or becoming CEO or qualifying for the Olympic rock climbing team or winning the World Cup. And even those things, right? The guys who win the World Cup tomorrow, someone will win the World Cup. I don't even know who's playing. (laughs) <laughs> I grew up, I couldn't. We were anti-soccer people. We were like American football people, but kind of insecure about it. So when you're insecure about something, well, then you like put down the other thing that you're afraid of. It's a threat. And so as football players, I don't think we felt threatened by soccer players, but maybe somewhere subconsciously we did because we always said, uh, no, football is the real thing, you know, American football. None of that soccer stuff. Anyway, so soccer, um, think about that. Whoever wins the World Cup, they're going to be super happy. What an accomplishment. What an accomplishment. But how did it happen? Well, it was the result of those guys, since they were like four or two, practicing day in and day out, and then making this team, making that team, getting lucky, right? There were probably so many lucky goals along the way. Or lucky moments. So it was a combination of you know their effort day in day out, one thing after another, God's favor, right? Luck at least, right? Being in their in their favor, beating this team, beating that team, and then finally they win. What a great celebration! What a great event! And it was, but it was all based on all these small little decisions in their life, right, that coalesced. And this is our life. We can't, you know, Lord, I can't expect to have the joy of heaven and the joy of being a great apostle and the joy and accomplishment of doing great things in a profession or great things in the world unless I take the little things very seriously. And the little things, if we do them for love, they're great too. It's not just the results that come from the little things, right? It's the little things themselves. They're great too because they're done for love. And God is love. And our Lord grew up, you know, Hammering nails, right, and and, sh- and shaving wood, and each each thing he did was redemptive because it was done by God. It was done by God with us, God who saves. And so you won't be great just when you make CEO or when you become the tenured professor or when you know you get married and have all these kids. You'll be great now, right, by doing that homework well out of love for God doing that time of prayer well out of love for God. Lord, help us to realize this awesome thing, that you are present. You are God with us, and you are love, and you are among us as one who serves. And so help us, too, to be here among others as one who serves. We go to Our Lady. This is Our Lady's life. Our Lady is the greatest saint by far, the Queen of all saints. Greater than she, no one but God. And yet, humanly speaking, her life was not spectacular. She was a housewife and she was a member of a community. And so her life was spent, you know, with very simple work in the eyes of the world, humble work. And yet it was the holiest and the most transcendental and the most impactful life ever outside of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because she was doing it all with love, she was doing it all with our Lord, she was doing it all in a holy way, right? Sinlessly, even though they were small things in themselves. One meal after another, one room cleaned after another, one trip to the market after another, one favor for a friend after another, right? one visit to a friend to take care, to help help them or take care of them, right? One act of, of friendship, of service, but small, normal, ordinary things. And because she was open to God and God was working through her, it was all the greatest life ever. And so we don't have to be great in the eyes of the world to be great in the eyes of God, which is what really matters, to have an impact that God wants us to have. What do we have to do with remember that God's with us and with to do things for love and therefore to try to do them well? Our Lady, our Mother, pray for us. Help us to be great saints like you among our family, our friends, our classmates, our colleagues among them as Jesus was, as one who serves, knowing that Jesus is always with us, trying to help us to serve others. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.